Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. A crossword puzzle, Stanley. Seriously, are you learning nothing here? Mm-hmm. Hello, and welcome to Still Watching, a weekly television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Hilary Busis. And I'm Chris Murphy. Over the next two episodes, we're celebrating perfect episodes of television. Vanity Fair recently made a list of 25 perfect episodes from the past 25 years. Each of us have brought our favorites to the podcast to break down why our pick has earned a spot in our Hall of Fame. We're dividing the special into two parts, comedy and drama. And this week, we're starting with our perfect episodes of TV comedies. Around this table, we've got a critic, a writer, and an editor. And we're all certified television obsessives. And today, we're trying to figure out what makes for a perfect episode of television. So I guess to start, we should really define in however it can be defined like what is a perfect episode of television how how does it become that do it does, does anyone have like a a, a sort of thesis that jumps out? <laughs> well I did write the intro to the list as it stands on vf.com um so in as much as I'm an expert um I feel like a perfect episode of TV has to do two things it has to be a self-contained hour or half hour story it has to be episodic like something that is you know stands on its own but because it's part of tv i think it also should push the narrative of the show that it's part of forward in some way so i Mm -hmm. think that it's doing both of these things at the same time and these are two kind of tricky and sort of competing qualities and therefore like finding a way to do them both in a satisfying way i think is where you get perfection yeah, mm-hmm. it's a feat of balancing those yes. two things. Like, it, like, like, so you're saying, Hillary, that the West Wing 9/11 episode is not uh, <laughs> your your favorite drama, your, your the perfect <laughs> drama, because that does not advance the plot forward. It's just a standalone thing. Because I think we we've talked a lot about bottle episodes yes. on, yeah. on TV Twitter of late, like, and standalone yeah. episodes more spe- like t- yeah. standalone. I think is like a term that can be used to just kind of if you're a bottle episode Nazi, then you don't want to call anything that is self-contained a bottle episode, but mm. a standalone episode, a departure episode, something where the show 
you know, goes away from its usual and does something different and it's interesting. But in some of those ways, like it doesn't actually advance the story. Like uh, this just comes to mind because it happened kind of recently. The uh, The Last of Us episode with, uh, uh, with, uh, Nick, with Nick Offerman and, and yeah. uh, Murray. Murray Bartlett. So you would say that could not be a perfect episode because it's too standalone? I mean, could, yeah, I think it, that it didn't really, it, you know, it told us a story about these two characters that we'd never met before. And it was, you know, a very interesting and engrossing story. But it, I mean, I guess every episode of The Last of Us was because it's based on a video game. Every episode is like a level. And so it does kind of get them toward the end in that yeah, way. But, but it had like, nothing to do with Pedro and had nothing no, to do with No, no, these two guys, these two guys are, Inconsequential you know, to the plot. Yeah, I want to spend a, an hour with them. But mm-hmm. like at the end of it, it's not like it did something for the greater narrative. Whereas the girls bottle episode with Marnie seeing Charlie again in season five, that does sort of advance the story forward. Well, yeah, because yeah, yeah. it closes yeah. a chapter for It closes a chapter for Marnie. I would say... I think that's a totally valid definition of a perfect episode. For me, a perfect episode of television, you could take anyone off the street, plop them down, put them in front of the episode in question without sort of any context, and they would enjoy and get, they would get the that's episode. Also, and they would mm, either think it's mm-hmm. really funny or be really enthralled. You're by leaning the more toward the standalone aspect. I'm then. leaning, well, I'm leaning more toward the self-contained. Like I okay. think it, there needs to be like a clear beginning, middle and end and tell a complete arc of a story that captures the show or what the show is supposed to be selling mm-hmm. in sort of a, a perfect way that any person, even if you haven't been watching for seasons and seasons, you would 100% be like, oh, this is what this show is. And Yeah. So I, I think that that's also, I think you put your finger on an important aspect of it also, which is like, it should be a, like, a distillation of everything that makes that particular show good. Yeah. So like the mm-hmm. episode of Succession where Logan dies, like yeah. that is a great episode of TV. It's so... It's just like so completely absorbing, but it's also like everything that's great about Succession in, in one package. Yeah. And if you've been watching it, obviously it's going it, to, it should also be satisfying for people who've been watching the series too. But you could t- say like, hey, Joe, come on, watch an episode of Succession with me. See if you like it. And, and President could, Biden would say. <laughs> he'd say, <laughs> say, huh? He'd be asleep. No, he would, he would enjoy it or mm-hmm. you know, he would get what they're uh, putting down. So I think that that's sort of what I thought about and when I was thinking about uh, picking my perfect episodes. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, we're doing comedy first, but you know I, I think for drama it's become harder in recent years. You know I turn to like shows that I loved as a teenager where it's like Buffy episodes are are standalone while also part of a broader arc. Mm-hmm. But as TV has evolved, I think especially because of binge TV like mm-hmm. streaming TV where it drops all at once. A lot of episodes of TV now are not really discrete. Yeah, they're just sort of like kind of bleed into blend, one another. Yeah, and is there like an episode of like I mean, this is a bad example because it's a bad person's on it, but like a particular episode of House of Cards that everyone was like, oh, that episode is so amazing. Yeah. It's like, no, that season was interesting or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was a good project to kind of, and like comedy, obviously, even, well, I don't know. I mean, I would even say about like something like Hacks. Like, I like that show. Mm-hmm. I like the episode where she meets the guy in Las Vegas and mm-hmm. he jumps out the window. Yeah. Other than that, I don't think I could tell you a discreet. And you yeah. certainly couldn't say the know? title of an episode. Like, I feel no, like the, the, episodes, yeah. the episodes that, like, if I say the suitcase, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right, exactly. You might even be able to say season four, episode seven or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it would be nice to see TV kind of return to that, some of that formatting. I mean, I don't mind the other version. It's just like when I want to kind of think of distinct TV moments, you know, like I do about a lost episode or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think that has been lost a little bit. And hopefully that format will return because like 
if not, how are we going to do this in 25 yeah. years? Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, TV and movies have kind of all blended together into one big, like, massive story. And yeah. yeah, what makes TV special is that it has this specific format where it is discrete episodes. And a discrete episode can be part of a larger story. It can tell its own story. And that's something that you can only really do when you have this sort of serialization. Yeah. Let's yeah. not even talk about miniseries. <laughs> right, get into right. That. Limited series, <laughs> Limited Chris. Series. Oh, yes. sorry. That's yeah, I, I, I guess them. mini is more derogative, <laughs> yeah, I guess derogatory than limited. Which limited are, sounds yeah. limited. kind of yeah. negative as well. Though. Yeah, I prefer yeah. mini. It feels like it, if you're bad at math, they put you with the limited kids, <laughs> yeah. not the mini kids, but the limited, not the kids. limitless ones like Bradley Cooper. <laughs> right? God, did that make it? <laughs> um, oh God, I forgot there was a TV show. Yeah, it was a TV show. Yeah, not with him. That was he. No, it was with the guy <laughs> from um, Devil Wears Prada. Did you guys ever listen to Comedy Bang Bang where they do an impression of Robert De Niro and Limitless going, "I want that pill. I want that pill." <laughs> anyway, um, okay, I feel like we've defi- defined our terms for yes, the most part, totally. um, so we should dive in. Yeah, this is like a perfect math problem. We have to first <laughs> like define our variables. Right, exactly. Now we're going to solve for X. Okay, okay, so, well, Richard, I, I am going to put you on the spot first um, because I want to know, Chris and I picked episodes that came from our VF.com's our existing list of 25 perfect episodes. And you went rogue. I was told I didn't have to pick from the list. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I didn't tell you that. Uh, well, our producer, Emily, did. Um, Thank but you, also, I, I like the list that was put together. I contributed to that list. But yeah, in thinking about it, I was like, you know, I, 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 there's stuff that isn't on there that I also think could be fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. So we're getting variation. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. getting, variation. What did you choose? So my pick of a perfect episode of a television comedy is from the Max show, the recently departed Max show, the other two. Uh, it's season three, episode five, Carrie and Brooke go to an AIDS play. Good evening. Thank you for coming to Eight Gay Men with AIDS, a poem in many hours. And exactly how many hours is it? Why? Oh, no, sorry. Never mind. It's a very important topic and I'll be here as long as they want. Thank you. It was written by Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider, who created the show and directed by Chris Kelly. Um, it aired originally May 25th, 2023. Can we even remember that far back? But <laughs> um, Here's a synopsis. Carrie's method actor boyfriend, Lucas, is starring in his Broadway debut, and Carrie tries to get him a new role as a porn star so they can finally have sex. This is just a third role where the two of us can't fuck. Like, first he was a teen virgin, then he was closeted at Christmas. Now he has... Full HIV? Okay. The never-ending AIDS play turns into Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet for Chase, who falls in love with a normie. Okay, so I assume that we're talking about how Chase can't date Pam? Yes, but thanks to Chase, they've already been seen together. Okay, I've been thinking, and how about this? She's a contest winner. There are problems for Brooke and her fiancé Lance as she struggles with her charade of caring about trees and just wants to go back to the entertainment industry. Then you say you want to do trees. I say, great. Hell yeah, girl, do those trees. And then you're mad at me for supporting the trees. It's like, it's like I can't fucking win with you. Because you never should have let me do the trees, Lance. After a fight, Brooke and her fiancé break up, and she takes refuge at Streeter's house. I can't believe it's actually over. <laughs> I know. I'm sad your mom and I broke up too, sweetheart. Um, so I went with, uh, I just gave into my recency bias uh, for the comedy category, and I picked uh, an episode of The Other Two from its most recent season, yes. mm-hmm. which is, I think, the most recent time that I laughed out loud watching an episode of television. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just that show is funny and antic and the performances are good. But this particular episode with its, you know, satirizing of fame in the kind of B plot but also just the general joke about like having to go to these long marathon Broadway 
productions about gay men with AIDS, like the Angels in America revival that was recently mm-hmm. here a the few years ago. Heart, the Normal Heart. The Normal Heart, The Inheritance, which was, was also two parts. <laughs> and the way that they kind of hyperbolize that into you're going for four days, people are bringing sleeping bags. and Laptops everyone, are out. <laughs> and everyone resents it, gay, straight, whoever, but then are immediately shut down about like, no, 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 no of course, no. If this is, if you need to go back to 1776, <laughs> that's totally that's fine. Really important. Um, I just think it, it's biting satire, but it's not mean and it's not flippant about like serious plays that mean a lot to culture and I also love in the B plot um, with Chase Dreams and his new girlfriend I, the Romeo and Juliet parody is when they're looking great. at each other through oh. the popcorn machine yeah. oh my yeah. gosh yeah yeah and that beautiful Wanda's, Desiree song is playing Wanda Sykes says mom you may never see her again <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> the way yeah. she so pronounces yeah. again funny is she was such uh, re-watching it because I watched the whole season I love the show and covered it a bunch for VF I was again laughing out loud at my desk and sort of noticing things that I hadn't noticed before. The play within a play is so funny. The air portends something. Yeah, the, the fake writing the fake of the play, writing is, the play is brilliant. Yeah. The world is at once new and old. Who is this woman now? I don't even know what time we're in. That's because they've stopped doing times, Lucas. I think we might be in no time at all. Um, I I have really lost it at now she's starting the cottage yeah. <laughs> twenty thousand BC an old woman there's always an old woman in these Fully. gay AIDS plays yeah. who comes out Lois Smith was in the inheritance yeah. who comes out at like the eleventh hour and you're like Meryl Streep with... as the rabbi yeah Meryl Streep the rabbi <laughs> Angels in America I mean that's not on the Broadway version the the still, HBO it version still, still counts yes but it's just such a specific and again it's it's funny if you know what they're satirizing but even if you don't it's I still think you can get you it. Can get it and it's still like really I think hilarious even if you yeah this place I like watching satire that's done by people who know exactly what they're talking about <laughs> you know and they can make broad strokes jokes about theater and this particular brand of theater but also there's specificity there that um, could only come from you know someone who knows and I appreciate that I also think that something that I really value about the other two I think that does feel weirdly rare is the way that it treats kind of matters of gay relationships, gay sex. Like it's not patting itself on the back for representation. It's it's but it's also like it's not afraid to kind of transgress a bit mm-hmm. and like just be kind of open about certain things. And I think that the plot line in this episode with Carrie trying to get his method actor boyfriend <laughs> to do a bit part in an Adam McKay porn movie, which good Lord, that's, <laughs> but also you could believe it. Like, yeah, hundred yes. percent. Um, just so that, 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 that role will allow him to, to have sex with his boyfriend. Like, I think that's pretty funny and it's absurd to have Carrie running down the street in his underwear, like so, wanting to, what was the, and I love that the PA. Peter Trevor really lets yeah. it all out. He really did. On that show. He did that Fully. season. He really it's did. brave. And I love the PA being like, okay, what, and then what? Like, what was what's the plan, the plan here? Um, I just think that, like, I, I love the show's mix of, like, intelligent satire and then just completely ridiculous farce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, I mean, as the white woman in this group, I feel mm-hmm. like I should also note that the Brooke plot line yeah. that the very end when she's having her fight with Lance, like, that is actually a great, like, kind of dramatic, like, fully believable argument mm-hmm. between these two people. And I think that it it brings, like, a grounding to the show um, that, you know, it doesn't have to have when it's going off the rails and when it's being absurd. It's really, really funny. But mm-hmm. there is... 
occasionally it remembers that its characters are actual, like, could be actual people, and it puts them in a situation like this. And I think that that scene, like, really gives another dimension to the show and to this episode specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so do we think that this episode would pass that certain litmus test of you plop someone down who's never seen the show? I feel like they cogently explain enough that... Carrie's boyfriend's two method and can't sleep with him mm-hmm. because he's in character. Yeah. Brooke wishes has, she was good. <laughs> right. Brooke has left show business be, to be better, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. also her heart is still in show business. Yeah. Chase, I guess they don't really they fully don't explain establish who, what Chase yeah. deal is. Tell yeah. that he's like upstar. Like mm-hmm. you get, I, yeah. He, well, because so, he's walking in with Kiernan Chipka. So I think that sort of says like he's supposed to be famous. He's supposed mm-hmm. to be dating a famous person. I think yeah. you get enough of, you don't have to have like every single plot point, but I think you, you get the vibe of who Chase is. Yeah. Um, there's no Molly Shannon in this episode. That's actually kind of interesting. Oh, you know which what? Is, That's true. Which Yeah, she's absent. She's absent and she's a great part of the other two, but that doesn't mean it's not a perfect episode. Though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you do get Ken Marino. Um, I, she's at the very beginning. She's at the very beginning. And you get the great kicker at the end when Brooke shows up at Ken Marino's house and goes to that ridiculous teen girl room. He goes, oh, you picked Harry's room. (laughs) And also it's great because they set up that joke. Another thing I think construction for perfect episodes is so important. Um, And to set up that joke at the very beginning that you think is going to be like a one-off joke where, you know, Streeter's like, you, mm-hmm. you get a room and you get a room when you come to my house they're like whatever and then that actually paying off at the very end of the episode that's a that's a perfect episode yeah, yeah. Uh, worthy and yeah. just yeah just the way the I mean the other two especially is so good I feel like the other two and like Kimmy Schmidt and 30 <laughs> Rock are so good at just like piling jokes on jokes on jokes and doing it in a very like in a very uh, creative, like unexpected way, like when Carrie's in the bathroom having the conversation. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is my voice. Um, just calling about this porn star role for my client, Lucas. I know I wasn't chasing it because it didn't have enough trom trom in it. <laughs> you do always call it that. Anyway, uh, I changed my mind and I am chasing it now. Trom Trom. Yes. Yeah. When he says Trom Trom and the guy he's talking to says, you do always call it that. Which is like (laughs) such a funny, like you would not expect that that would be (laughs) the punch. But it's such a like funny twist. I love um, when they're like meeting Chase's new normie girlfriend uh, who he's just met like the day prior. And she's like, would you rather poop out your mouth or eat with your butt? And uh, Streeter Camarino is like, come on. Oh, come on. Uh, I guess uh, <laughs> eat with my butt, and then there's your then tongue in your to, butt, and then it cuts back. <laughs> and then it to becomes them. a thing still talking and about. And it. Wanda Sykes is participating, yeah. and and I just think that like when the show really just lets itself spin around with its, you know, kind of double down on a joke, but not in a tiresome yeah. way. Well, there's like a yes, know. there's a yes and sensibility exactly. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where yeah. we're always building. We're not going to cut it off with like, no, that's a stupid thing to ask. Like yeah. we're going to like follow this to like the end. Yeah, without sacrificing the momentum of the story or the be- believability of the characters and whatnot. Like I mean, I don't a, know if the characters are believable. Every well, it, it, it goes to some. It goes to some out there places. I feel this like episode it's particularly. Is, yeah, but I I think they're very. I honestly think. I'm going to say this. I think they're too real. I think Terry <laughs> and Brooke. Well, that says and, something about who you hang out I, with. I don't definitely does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an indictment of, <laughs> of my social scene. But I think I think that was one of the things uh, about the show that was so fantastic is that it really was sort of about, it really, I think, created, if not believable, very specific, very well-drawn depictions of, you know, of the entertainment industry and people who work in entertainment mm-hmm. and actors yeah. and managers and agents and pop stars and uh, PR people to a point where it's like, oh, wow, it's 
it really rang true. Yeah. If it, you don't not care, absurd. if you don't care about those things, <laughs> then you're not going to like it. <laughs> then you're probably not going to care about this. But the jokes themselves are so funny yeah. still. Yeah. And I, I don't know when I reviewed this season, I was like, I don't remember. I mean, maybe uh, I think you should leave uh, mm-hmm. with Tim Robinson, but like, otherwise, like it's hard to find like laugh out loud stuff. There's amusing stuff on TV and this episode, which is why I picked it, rewatching it for this podcast. Like I, I laughed out loud, like pretty consistently. Mm-hmm. And that feels rare. Um, well, good. I'm glad you guys agree with my pick. Yeah, yeah. no, it's nice to have uh, of, of the, of our comedy picks. I feel like this was like the most pure comedy one. Still Watching will be back in just a moment. And when we return, we'll talk about two more perfect episodes of comedy. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Um, well, should we pivot over to your yeah. episode choice, Hillary? Okay, so my pick is from The Office. It's season two, episode 12, The Injury. It originally aired January 12th, 2006, and was written by Mindy Kaling and directed by Brian Gordon. Here's a synopsis. Michael Scott is in peril after he lightly grilled his foot on his George Foreman grill. Mm, I burned my foot very badly on my Foreman grill, and I now need someone to come and bring me into work. You burned your foot on a Foreman grill. I enjoy having breakfast in bed. I like waking up to the smell of bacon. Sue me. But it's Dwight who might be in real trouble after crashing his car during his rescue attempt. What's wrong with that guy? You mean today? He stepped on the George Foreman grill and he burned his foot. No, not Michael. The moon-faced kid who crashed into the pole. He looks like he has a concussion. Jim, Michael, and Dwight head to the hospital, and Michael fights for medical attention for his melted foot. Doctor... What is more serious, a head injury or a foot injury? A head injury. Well, you don't have all the information. The foot has been fairly severely burned. So I have selected uh, the injury, which (laughs) is from the offices. uh, I feel like still like unassailable uh, second season. Um, Season two, episode 12, written by Mindy Kaling. Uh, It's so funny watching this again. I was it's I feel like The Office is a show, especially those early great seasons that like does hold up and like stand the test of time and like I when I watched when you watch an old show sometimes 
you know, you have the nostalgia for like wh- who you were the first time you watched it sure. and like watching mm-hmm. this. I'm like, oh my God, it's like I'm back in high school or whatever. <laughs> but like, it's still so funny. Like, yeah. and I think that the jokes, because the jokes are rooted mostly in character, I think that that's why they still resonate even now that it's like, oh my God. 16 years in the past. No, don't say that. No, it don't, can't be don't worry, real. it's 17 years. No. <laughs> Damn it, Richard. Yeah. That's so crazy. Um, yeah, so I don't know. What what were you, I were either of you or were both of you Office fans back in the day? Yeah, so mm-hmm. I, I actually made waves back when, on Facebook.com because in, I'll say it, like early, early high school when The Office was on, it was 30 Rock, The Office, and Parks and Rec. Like, that was sort of like the golden block of NBC. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, like, I can tell you something about your personality if you tell me between those three shows, which is your favorite show. Mm-hmm. And it really sort of made waves in my high school. <laughs> because The Office was always sort of like the golden boy, the mm-hmm. it, the yeah. it girl of those three shows, if you will. Sort of like well, classic bro it, it didn't win the Emmys. Well, 30 Rock won way more Emmys well, than The Office. that was sort of the more absurdist, a little bit mm-hmm. more highbrow. Cerebral, yeah. Cerebral, mm-hmm. wordy yeah. one. And then Parks and Rec was more like character-based, Heart, mm-hmm. like good person, sort of like homegrown. Is, is the Hufflepuff is of the this Hufflepuff group. of the group. <laughs> and Slytherin is uh, thirty. Third Rock, Rock is Slytherin, obviously. And then Gryffindor is the Office. I don't yeah. know. The Office is like is not invited. <laughs> to does, does that make the Christina Applegate Maya Rudolph show up all night Ravenclaw? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> By it default, does. Yeah. it absolutely does. Yeah. But that's a, a long way of saying I was a, like a definitely. It's a, a long big, way of saying that all three of us were born in the 1980s. Not, not you, but yeah, no, yeah. but um, but no, I really like The Office, and I forgot how I. It's I'm not someone who like goes back and rewatches it, and I forgot how absolutely hilarious it could be. And yeah, I know people who like really like watch The Office almost as like background noise, like constantly on to go to sleep. Just, yeah, yeah, to go to sleep, and I get that, but I think that I enjoyed watching this particular episode because later in the show's run kind of in tandem with Parks and Rec becoming a very sweet show. I feel like The Office got a little bit like, they got a little addicted to like the nice moments and the humanizing Mm -hmm. moments. And I had kind of thought of Steve Carell's performance like that way unfairly because watching this, it's like, oh no, he was like a real asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Like in a great way. He's so funny (laughs) in this role and just like his disgusting foot just like plopping it onto his desk. like Saying these offensive things, being such a baby and demanding games. (laughs) Like, it's just like really well Done. How he reacts yeah. in horror to the guy in the wheelchair <laughs> when he asks how long it takes him to brush his teeth. How long does it take for you to do something simple every day, like like brush your teeth in the morning? I don't know, like 30 seconds. Oh, my God. That's three times as long as it takes me. And he says, oh, my God, that's three <laughs> times as long as it takes me. Ten times as long as it takes me yeah. because Michael brushes his teeth for three seconds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like a, a nice reminder of uh, what a breakneck performance his is and like kind of like fearless. I I mean, you know, this was like early in the show's run and they were not that, I mean, much like the British office, I guess, but British people have a different sensibility, but like they were not that afraid to have the lead character of the show be totally alienating. Totally. Which means they had to offset it with the Jim and Pam Pam stuff. Which like this is, this is before they've kissed or anything, right? Mm -hmm. They're still in flirtation. Yeah, that's at the end of season two. Which is kind of the ideal Place yeah. to be. Place for them to be. Yeah, there's and like there's, some nice simmering yeah. tension. Um, and this is also a great Rain Wilson episode. Oh, I was going to say, Dwight, like, Dwight sort of Dwight, took it yeah, for me. Dwight <laughs> gets like so ridiculous, like as anything, as a sitcom always goes, you know, things get uh, more exaggerated the longer it goes and mm-hmm. you know, characters become character caricatures and all that. But like Dwight is like really such like a specific person, especially in these early seasons <laughs> and like watching him like turn nice because of his brain injury is like <laughs> such a funny concept. 
Yeah. Absurd concept. Yeah. Him yeah. typing Dwight, 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 Dwight over and over and over. There's a lot of quotable a moments, of, too. You he, can't fire me. I don't work in this van. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it really, and again, I do not to be the person, the stickler for like, could a person off the street who imagine, well, maybe there are some Gen Z kids who don't know what the office is, but if you dragged one of them and you put them down in front of this episode, would they get the show and also get the dynamics of the people in the show? A hundred percent. Yeah, you absolutely. See yeah. Exactly the Michael Dwight re- relationship. You see the Jim and Pam tension and Jim being mm-hmm. jealous of Pam and Dwight's relationship. You get a big I mean, I think The Office was best when they got everybody together for those like conference yeah. group conference moments. Yeah. Um, when the wheel, when the man in the wheelchair mm-hmm. rolls in, and he, Michael is absolutely so so offensive. I think the only time episode that I think can think that was he was as funny and as ridiculous is when he was like Prison Mike. Oh <laughs> was, my god, Prison Mike also, is also that made really me think funny. Of that episode, which is also a really funny episode, but you're right. It's it's like it's not saccharine. It's not no. sweet. It really goes for the comedy yeah. jugular. And kudos to Mindy Kaling because she wrote uh, she wrote the hell, hell the hell out, out of this episode. episode. Yeah. And his like like the visual gag of like his foot covered in bubble wrap. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> like, Stanley saying mailboxes, etc. Like I I also <laughs> love the poeticism. Bj of, Novak eating that cheese stick in <laughs> one oh, big and the, bite. And I then, think of him every time I have a string. <laughs> Cheese, which because I have children is more yeah. often than you might think. Wow, you just dive right in. You know, around age 12, I just started going for it. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's such a funny little, it doesn't need to be in there, but it is. Um, I it love, feels like something the two, co-work, two co-workers would say, like exactly. there's a realism to it. Yeah. Um, and then on the other side of that, I love the, the sort of absurd poetics of like Michael explaining how he hurt his foot. And he's like, I like to wake up to the smell of, you know, crackling bacon or whatever. So I put a George, and it's like, this is this is like so such a horrifying glimpse into this very sad man's life <laughs> that's delivered completely straightforwardly as if like, well, what? That Doesn't that make sense? It's like, I set the George Foreman grill up at night with raw bacon. That sits there all night. I wake up, I turn it on, I go back to, to sleep. sleep. And it's just like, where did that come from? It's just so, but I love it. It's, it's great. Why wouldn't it be on the kitchen counter? Why is it on the floor of the bedroom? You know? Because he wants to wake up to right. it in his yeah. bed, like he wants It's so important. That's why he goes yeah. back to sleep. And that's sort of the, right. that's it's so the kicker. Ob- and so <laughs> obvious. Yeah. It's just great. And I think that like, it made me want to watch more of because I started watching the show in its second season. I was just out of college and uh, was immediately like, "Who's that cute floppy haired guy in the sweater?" And then I started. Then I started to like the rest of the show too. <laughs> um, thank you. I know I'm going to go back and rewatch the whole season. I, I will think. say it does. There was a steep drop off, like after Michael. I mean, after Will. Fa- I mean, Will. Fa- Oops, sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> Spoiler ap- alert. Sorry. Yeah. Um, after Michael leaves and Steve Carell leaves, Will Ferrell does come in for like a minute. Like I don't know minute, if that was like, in yeah, your mind, no, yeah, or I if think, you just don't know the difference. Between yeah, Will and Steve it could Carell. be a little bit of both, but it's one of those. It's sad because it's one of those shows that like was so in its heyday, in its prime. It was kind of undeniably hilarious, like the funniest mm-hmm. show. But then there was, I felt that there was a pretty steep drop yeah. off by the end. And it just got... But you can also, I mean, yeah. in, in this episode too, I feel like you can also see the kernels of like a lot of TV comedy that would come mm-hmm. in its wake. Like The Office obviously wasn't like the first big single camera comedy, yeah. but if it's its sensibility, the, the way that it, the mockumentary format. format, like the sorts of jokes that it makes, like the sense of humor. I, I think that all of those things got imitated a lot in its wake. Um, and like here, when you see the source, it's nice to see that it holds up. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, I also love that, like, because it's a network, 
network show, but you're watch. I was watching an ad free on like Peacock, and it's like, oh, that 22 minutes really flies by. It does. <laughs> it also made me think that like I I think Steve Carell has done interesting things post Office, but he really went in this drama path that I don't know if it is, is necessarily his most like fruitful. And this watching this, I was like, oh my god, he was so funny, and he <laughs> could still be so funny. And I I don't know. I would hope that he would return to this kind of performance. No, you didn't. You didn't. Yeah. Uh, not a Space Force fan. <laughs> oh right, maybe I maybe I should be careful what I wish. <laughs> Still watching, we'll be back in just a moment. And when we return, it's Chris's turn for his perfect comedy episode. We've all been there before. You're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself. When all of a sudden it starts to feel overwhelming. Uh, I live in a very small one-bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen. I can't figure out what to serve besides water soup at this point. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration, a kitchen with no space, a toddler who will only eat buttered pasta. Name your dinner emergency. We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then, I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it. Because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now. And finally, my pick, BoJack Horseman, Season 3, Episode 4, Fish Out of Water. It originally aired on July 22nd, 2016. It was written by Elijah Aaron and Jordan Young and directed by Mike Hollingsworth. Here's the synopsis. BoJack Horseman hops on a submarine to promote his film Secretariat at the Pacific Ocean Film Festival. And you can't go to Sundance because Robert Redford hates you. Yeah, well, someone had to tell him that the horse whisperer was offensive. Sorry, but real horses don't just do whatever someone says. He learns ex-Secretariat director Kelsey will be there and tries to figure out the best way to say he's sorry. I haven't talked to her since she got fired from Secretariat. Well, luckily, you won't have to talk much because you'll both be underwater. In a twist of events, after helping a seahorse deliver his babies, he goes on a mission to return one that strayed. His film is a hit, and Bojack finally finds the words and writes a note to apologize to Kelsey that gets destroyed underwater. And in the last minute of the episode, learns he could talk the whole time. Move it, buddy! What are you, deaf? Oh, you have got to be kidding. Going against the grain for a perfect episode Mm -hmm. um, for what you would normally get from the series, I chose one of my favorite shows of all time. I chose Bojack Horseman, and I chose not a typical Bojack Horseman episode, but Fish Out of Water. And I know that I've talked a big game about, like, when you put somebody in front of the episode, they should know exactly what the show is. They will have no idea. They will have no idea what the show is, what what the show is, but I think they would be... Well, actually, I'm I'm wrong. They won't (laughs) understand the plot. Yeah. But they will get the show. They will get the show. Um, what's special about this episode and what I loved about this episode is that it follows a BoJack. He's on his Oscar campaign trail for Secretariat. He has to go to a, uh, underwater film festival, uh, the Pacific Ocean Film Festival, where basically he can't talk or communicate with anybody. It's like going to another country. Going to Venice, say, for a film (laughs) festival. Yes. But where you, he's wearing a, um, basically like a big air helmet. Uh, some, like he's basically... 
in a in a suit uh, where he can't communicate with any of the fish. So he's very lost in translation. He goes on this odyssey trying to get to the film festival on time. So there's a very clear arc of he's supposed to get to his movie at 8 p.m., but then winds up finding like a young baby seahorse on a bus and has to deliver it to his dad, to the dad. And it gets really sort of absurd and crazy. And this series creates a really finely drawn world that we'd never seen on the show before, creating a whole underwater universe that exists right under the surface of like the actual show, which is like a satire of Hollywood with like animals and people. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really, just really brilliant. I had never seen an episode of Bojack Horseman before. No way. So you really, so you really got through it in the deep end. Were you like, what is happening? I mean, I'd seen clips. I kind of knew Mm -hmm. what the tone was, Mm -hmm. but uh, I'm curious. So something I loved about this episode, which is essentially minus the beginning and ending, a silent yeah, film. silent mm-hmm. film, yeah. um, Well, not silent, but dialogueless. Yeah. All of the little visual gags, like there were all these like fake movie titles because it's a film festival. Free Willy International Airport. Free Willy International Airport was so good. <laughs> There's just a lot of like clever, but not overweeningly clever stuff. Yeah. That, and then like sentiment, but yeah. also a kind of edge at the end. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, as a, for, I've read a lot about the show, whatever, mm-hmm. so I, I kind of knew what tone to expect, but I think that it was delivered in a way that was really convincing yeah. in this episode. Yeah, Bojack, if you love puns, um, this is, <laughs> and, and references, like this is the show for you. Um, those visual gags are so funny and they're so dense. Like it's a show that really rewards careful attention, um, which is a nice thing to have in the mm-hmm. in the streaming economy. Um, it was created by uh, Raphael Bob Waxberg, who has said that Lisa Hanawalt, who is the designer um, of the characters and of the background, is the one who adds a lot of those in uh, background jokes. And she mm-hmm. was she later went on to create Token Birdie, mm-hmm. which is right. in a sort of BoJack esque universe, yes, although it's a separate show. Um, but yeah, yeah, it reminds me of like because I you know I grew up on The Simpsons. I don't think I'd have a personality without the first tenish seasons of The Simpsons, <laughs> and they did a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. too yeah. like little, like stuff that it's not at all part of the plot it's just sort of in the background or in a, on a piece of paper or whatever and that suggests to me like a big kind of worrying mind behind the show yeah mm-hmm. and it, uh, the reason why as a fan of the show and I had watched you know every episode up until now it's such a wordy show typically it's very mm. dialogue heavy very dense very like, a lot of tongue twisters a lot of tongue twisters Princess Caroline who isn't in this episode is famous for her tongue twisters that are about Hollywood so for them to create an episode that is just as joke dense and just as sort of funny without having any dialogue in it, basically. I was like mind blown. And then for the series, as the series went on, there'd be a lot, they had, uh, Bojack sort of made a name for itself for having these departure episodes or these sort of very special animated episodes that you would normally find in a sitcom. There was the eulogy episode where the whole episode is just Bojack giving a eulogy. There are other sort of- It's like one unbroken <laughs> it's monologue. It's one unbroken yeah. monologue, basically. So they, they took a lot of risks and this was the first episode so to my knowledge, or in my opinion, that really deviated from the form in a real way and succeeded in that and then sort of set the groundwork for a lot of great episodes that would later come mm-hmm. by taking this big risk of having a silent episode mm-hmm. and creating this great new world and visual world that we'd never seen before, chock full of jokes. Yeah, and it's also sort of in league with the other two. Like this episode specifically like has a lot of very specific like industry <laughs> humor in it too. Like having having just returned from a film festival, like it is like a mm-hmm. weird and alienating experience. It is. Mm. I mean, I there it's really fun to go to festivals, but it can also be really lonely. And I've definitely gone to things in in the course of my career where like 
I'm on the jury and they say, do you want to come? And I say, okay. And then I get to my hotel. I'm like, wait, what am I doing here? Like <laughs> my job is over. Like I'm just sort of here in this strange city and you know, wherever it might be. And um, just, and then you go down to like a hotel lobby and everyone else seems to know each other and have something to talk about. And you're like, well, why can't, shouldn't I know someone here, but I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that like the isolation is so, uh, he's he's at the bottom of the sea. Yeah. Like he can't communicate. Like it's a really palpable way to communicate that. And then at the end, it's so clever that yeah. they completely undermine their whole conceit. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. No, he could, there was a button. He could have talked the whole pre- time. That's <laughs> yeah. a perfect construction. Yeah. Again, it's really back good. to- it's Such a good punchline. such a great punchline. And that whole entire time he could have communicated but he just didn't know. And I thought it was, yeah, uh, beginning, middle, and end, just a perfect, like, self-contained episode because we never go back there. I think, spoiler mm-hmm. for the series, we never go back underwater in that same way as the series goes on. So we dive into this whole new, hilarious world that's deeply familiar. Also, him, <laughs> this really cracked me up, that thumbs up in Fish World is <laughs> really offensive. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then he keeps doing thumbs we up. We don't know exactly what it means, but we can it's kind of, It's funnier that we don't yeah, know. Yeah, we don't know, but like he, he does it and then he makes sort of like fish news mm. <laughs> for being an asshole yeah. for doing the thumbs up sign. So just little things like that um, that are so smart that I just don't, uh, not to copy Richard, but in comedies these days, with a lot of television these days, you can sort of like uh, check out a little. You don't really have to be uh, as paying as much attention. And it's sort of, you know, an episode blends from one episode mm-hmm. to the next. And it's maybe not laugh out loud funny. And this was an episode that requires your full attention because yeah. if you're not looking at the screen, you you there is no episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and really is self-contained. And I thought really just brilliant. I was like, I did not know the show could, yeah. could do that until it did it. Totally. And it also has like a like a dramatic undercurrent, mm-hmm. to, uh, undercurrent. <laughs> sorry, um, to it as well. I, f- I feel like the show will give me that. Um, yes. <laughs> where uh, the entire time Bojack is trying to give an apology to this director that he kind of screwed over. Um, mm-hmm. Her name is Kelsey. And Kelsey, yeah. yeah, she's she's sort of like an indie, like Kelly Riker type. Yeah. Um, uh, and he got her fired off of her, his movie. And then, you know, she shows up at this film festival that they're at the same time. Yeah. It also seemed, I, I liked the bit of commentary uh in like her being there with her serious movie and nobody caying. <laughs> yeah. And it's called Billy Jean King is, is not, not my, my lover. lover. Yes. yes. And then yeah. next to it there's a poster do the right thing to do the thing more right. Right. <laughs> and spikes there. You see spikes. spikes. Um, but I, I I like that it connected to that dramatic storyline mm-hmm. um, which you know, again I had no context for but I I was like, "Oh, okay, he, this was someone he got fired from his project and but he's still trying to promote it." That like he has a victory in that he misses the premiere, but he makes it to the after party mm-hmm. and everyone is fetting him and saying, oh, you did such a great job. And you're like, OK, so this show isn't too hard on him. Mm-hmm. And then he tries to reconcile with her and it all goes to hell. And that's yeah. when the episode ends. And so because I'd always read that it was actually kind of a serious show and I was kind of dreading like whatever <laughs> conclusion the episode would mm-hmm. make. Yeah. But I think it was very, it was balanced in a way that, again, like kind of like watching this old Office episode, like I'm intrigued to watch more of Bojack yeah, now. Yeah. And there's also the uh, undercurrent, not to steal Hillary's joke, of his daddy issues. He's mm-hmm. like babying, uh, he's like taking mm. care of his parent issues. His parent yeah. issues, really. Yeah. Parent issues. His mom becomes like a big thing. Yeah. Okay. Too, his but. dad is a big thing. And he's sort of famously uh, not a very caregiving and parental figure um, in this sort of 
forced him to step up and like, you know, parent this little seahorse. And sort of there was the a baby seahorse. Really, really cute. cute. Really cute. Really cute. And the saltwater taffy of it all. The freshwater taffy. Freshwater taffy. Yeah. 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 They're in the saltwater. They're in yeah. the saltwater. The, yeah. joke, yeah. the joke that uh, Mr. Peanut Butter, who is kind of his, uh, his nemesis. <laughs> um, a dog. He's a dog and he's just like everything rolls off his back and he's always happy. Um, and so he's like the polar opposite of Bojack, uh, this depressive horse. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he's hawking seahorse milk <laughs> underwater. Take it from me. A, a childless, childless dog. dog. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Also a great joke. There's a great visual gag where he's trying to hide from the store owner and he just poses exactly like the Mm. the seahorse milk poster. I know there's just a lot of clever stuff like that. Yeah, Bojack is is like an animated show that like actually really takes advantage of its medium in a way that like it could only be animated. Yes. Right. Well, I guess, yeah, the budget for shooting a horse guy underwater would <laughs> yeah. probably have been a lot. Uh, I mean, I, I think James Cameron yeah, could have done it. Yeah, James Cameron. You can do anything in post. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think that they, the, an animated show that really cares about about the art, you know, it's not just doing it out of pure necessity. It's like... Yeah, it's not doing you know, it because it's cheaper. Right, it's not South Park. Let's just yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. And South Park has visual gags, yes. obviously. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm very intrigued. I think there was a period of time where I got a little bit like, oh, brother, because there were so many think pieces about like the the subtle brilliance of <laughs> Bojack, Bojack Horseman. But it's like, I, again, I should always remind myself, like, Put that aside and just <laughs> enough actually engage passed. with enough people love this that yeah. it must be good. So yeah, it's really, it's, yeah. the thing is, yeah, I, I wish that we could like just love it without having to somehow make loving it into like a badge a of thing, honor. Yeah. Like a right. thing that only I understand. Where it's like, mm. no, it's it's good. It's just right. It's just we're, very good. It's we're, not better because fewer people understand it. Right, exactly. And it's, it's it's a bad cousin of like the worst. Ted Lasso's about a show about being nice. And if you don't like it, fuck you. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. it is sort like, of the opposite yeah, of that. Yeah, <laughs> but like, but, you know, but like that, that sort of TV obsession that oftentimes like makes me turn off of a show that other people are talking about all the time. But now, you know, I could revisit The Office with new mm-hmm. perspective mm-hmm. and watch Bojack. Yeah, yeah, it's I nice to come it. at these like things that were zeitgeisty in their moments, like yeah. once that moment has passed and see how they hold up on their own. And, you know, all, all of these do. I mean, the other two, RIP. Yeah. Ugh. I think they bad. ended, the other two ended where it probably yeah. should have in some ways. But um, totally. yeah, maybe someone else will take up the mantle. I think at any given time, we deserve at least one, three jokes a second. Yes, show on sure. TV, and actually, Bojack is doing it's that doing, in its it, own way, it and so was the office. Was it, the office. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It definitely. But it, we've gotten less and less and less. It's, I just like comedies that that have jokes. I don't yeah, know. Maybe that makes me. Uh... They're not mood pieces. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that does it for this episode of Still Watching. As ever, you can send us any questions or thoughts uh, at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. You can also find me on uh, some kind of website at Ryla, <laughs> Twitter, X, I don't know. Yeah, same with me. And you can find me on those uh, websites at Christris. And you can find me at Hillabuster with two R's. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Gabe Caroga. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer, and our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We'll be back next Thursday with our picks for perfect TV dramas. Looking forward to seeing you then. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. 
Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. 